I didn't realize what he had done for me. I had, when I was 14 years old, 15 years old, I had started attending um, a church, a local plant, which was Calvary Chapel. Um, I had left the Lutheran Church and I, for the first time, kind of learned what it was to know God, but I, I still didn't quite get it. And that was when I first gave my life to Christ in that true sense and was baptized back then. The grace and the mercy and everything that He has done for me, I had not understood it fully until this past year when I gained this relationship with Him because I started attending CR and I started going to Unhurried Day and I started developing this relationship with Him. His grace is just amazing and it creates such a peace in me that I did not realize was there. And looking back, I see now what He was doing in my life and I'm so thankful to Him for that. It's just, it's just amazing to me and it blows my mind what He did and the path that He put before me that I didn't realize He was doing for me. And it's been so wonderful looking back and being able to thank Him for that and just get down on my knees almost on a daily basis and say, thank you, Lord, for that because I didn't even realize what you had done for me. And you have been so graceful and so merciful to me and I didn't even know it. Thank you so much. In a strange way, um, because of an addiction issue that I had that I've um, been struggling with and had to surrender to over and over again and am still struggling with um, on the flip side of the coin and it's been very hard and very difficult and I will say been face planted in the mud again um, but because of that, He has used me with people that I really didn't know that I could be used with. The fact that I'm a Christian and the fact that this is the program I do and my higher power is Jesus Christ and it doesn't matter, you know, I, I talk about that. And, and so it, that has been something that has been pretty awesome for me to be able to share that with people. He has done so much for me, and I had not realized it until this past year. We are in a, a series here at Big Valley Grace uh, called Shining Like the Stars, or we're going through the, the book of Philippians together. Paul said this in chapter 2. He said, live clean innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights. One version says, shining like the stars in the universe in a world full of crooked and perverse people. The Holy Spirit had, had filled our, our brother Paul, and God had him pin these words right here. And in my opinion, uh, th this is the key verse of the book. Paul was writing to encourage these followers of Jesus Christ to live God-honoring lives. He wanted them to shine like the stars in a, in a world that was dark and crummy. I think Paul was outside one night and he looked up and it was dark and, and all of a sudden he saw all these stars and he went, that's it. That's how believers are to live. They're to, they're to be these bright lights that pierce 
the, the, the darkness. We're to live differently. And one of the ways we do that is by caring for our town. I mean, I was born and raised here in Modesto. This is my town. And I think because Jesus Christ lives in us, thousands of us here at Big Valley Grace, it, it, it ought to make a difference. And I often tell you that the, that the church comes together in a moment like this and, and we gather together for about an hour and a half and we got gatherings on Saturday and Sunday and in different locations and all of that. But we, we gather together for an hour and a half of a 168-hour week. And in just a little while, we're going to scatter. The church will scatter, and the church will go back to neighborhoods, and the church will go to the grocery store, and the church will go down to the mall and do some shopping. Uh, tomorrow, the, the church will end up at the courthouse trying a case. The, 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 the church is going to be at Macy's selling clothes. You're the church. And this is an important moment when we gather together. But we spend most of our time scattered. And it's out there that we're to live these clean, innocent lives as children of God. We're to shine for God. And one of the ways we do that is when we care for the, the poor in our community. We care for the homeless, the oppressed. We care about the, the, the single mom that's gutting it out who made a decision to have her, her, her child. We care about, you know, the, the, the needy. We, 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 we get engaged in, in our city. Not all of us are called to go to Africa or, you know, Zimbabwe or wherever it might be. But we're all called to live clean, innocent lives. Or to live in such a way that somehow our our lives bring honor and glory to the Father. And so as important as this moment is, and this is important, that the church come together. You're going to spend the majority of your, your time scattered out there. And I, I think if Paul were here today, if he were our guest preacher, I think he'd tell us the same thing. I think he'd encourage us to live clean, innocent lives, that we would be bright and shining stars in a world that's just really goofed up, messed up. Now, today we're going to talk about one of the great ways that you, you shine, and that's through your joy. People that are full of joy shine. When I was a youth pastor here, I was a youth pastor here at Big Valley Grace, for those of you that are visiting for about 20 years, and we would take kids down to uh, Mexico, hundreds of kids, you know, over Easter break. And one of the things we would do is we would teach the children that we work with down in Mexico songs. And one of the songs that we always taught them was this one. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. That was horrible, man. That was horrible. <laughs> you guys didn't do very well compared to the other hours. Man, whoo. Now, what we would do is, though, we would sing it to them. We teach it to them in, 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 in Spanish. So here we go, ready? Yo tengo gozo, 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 gozo in me corazón. Donde in me corazón? Donde in me corazón? Oh. Oh. Wow. I, I hope. Jules, did we sound better than that when we were down there? I hope we sounded better than, than that. You know, beloved, when you think about it, we as Christians ought to be the most joyful people on the planet, shouldn't we? 
I mean, we really ought to have the joy of the Lord down in our hearts. I mean, when you think about all the things that, that, that we get when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're saved, our sins have been forgiven, the, the, the junk that messed up our relationship with the Father has been taken care of, we're loved by God, we're friends of God, we're children of God, we're co-heirs with Christ, you know, the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Yet there seems to be a lot of Christians today that are anything but joyful. Something has robbed them of their joy. And one of the great ways that we shine for God is when our lives are filled with joy. King David said this in Psalm 51, he said, restore to me the, the joy of my salvation. There are things out there that can, can rob us of our joy. And so the question I want to deal with today is, is why? Why do we lose our joy? How does that happen? Well, there's lots of reasons, sin being the big one. I mean, nothing will suck the joy out of your life like, you know, living in disobedience to God. And you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior and still say, you know what, I, I'm going I, to do life my own way. And when you do that, boy, you'll lose your, your joy. But as I read our text this past week, there are a couple other things that God brought to my mind that are every bit as much as, you know, a joy robber as sin is. And so let's read Philippians chapter 3, okay, verses 1 through 11, and let's just see what Paul says. If you have a Bible, great. If you don't, it's on the jumbotrons. It'll be in your notes. And, man, I hope you hear from the Lord today. If all you hear is my voice, wow, what a, what a, what a waste of your, of your morning. The Bible says this in verse 1, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anybody could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts. I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared <clears throat> with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I want you to look at verse 1 again. 
Paul says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. One version says, my brothers and sisters, be full of joy in the Lord. Beloved, God wants his people to be full of joy. He wants us to have the the joy, joy, joy down in our hearts. That's what God longs for. Psalms 43 says, I will go to the altar of God, to to God, the source of all my joy. But in our text, I I see three things that I think are are joy robbers. There are three things that I I think can really suck the joy out of us, and I just kind of want to walk through them. It's not a comprehensive list of all the things that I think can take the joy out of your life, but I think these are three things that we have to be wary of. Number one, legalism. Legalism robs you of the joy of the Lord. It dims your light. Look at verse two. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Now what exactly is is legalism? Well, basically legalism is when you allow a set of man-made or man-inspired rules or regulations or rituals to somehow govern your relationship with Jesus Christ. Legalism gets the focus off what God has done for you and puts the focus on what you have to do for God. And when those two things get flip-flopped, man, it just takes the joy out of your life. Legalism takes the focus off of what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross. And it puts the focus on all the things that you have to do to somehow earn God's uh, approval. And whenever that happens, boy, you're in trouble. Here's, Here's what went down. Paul shows up and he tells these people at Philippi about Jesus. He tells them that Jesus Christ came to to planet Earth, that he was the second person of the Holy Trinity, and he came down here and lived an amazing life. The life of Christ is absolutely amazing. But then he voluntarily gave up his life and died on a cross, and they put him in a tomb. And three days later, he proved who he said he was, that he was God, and he walked out of that tomb And Paul had told these people that the only way that your sins could be forgiven, the only way that you could spend your eternity with the Father was through a relationship with with Jesus Christ. Paul told these people at Philippi this incredible story. And the people got it. And they accepted Christ into their lives. It was an amazing thing. Well, after Paul left, this there was this group of people that came in behind him. They were called Judaizers who said, yes, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, you got to trust him, you know, with your life. But there are some other things you have to add. There are some other things you need to do to really be saved. And by the way, um, they're still around today. There's a, a guy that I know, he's a friend of mine, who not long ago gave his life right here, went into the altar room, gave his life to Christ. He understood the message. 
He understood that he was a sinner. He understood he couldn't save himself. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. Jesus came into his life, cleansed him of his sin. Unbelievable story. Well, he, he meets up with a dog. And this dog began to tell him, hey, that's really great, man. But it ain't enough. There are some other things that you need to do. And somehow this young, immature believer was, was really tricked and deceived. And he now attends a, another place. Or, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, we'll sing about Jesus. We'll do the Jesus thing. But they're also going to come in behind him and say, now look, it's still not enough. Not enough. Now look at, Paul got furious at those people. I mean, it, it, it just, Paul, Paul was just beside himself. And he calls them, them, them dogs. Now, when we think of dogs, we think of these little warm, cuddly little pets that we have, right? Well, in biblical days, you know, dogs weren't pets. They were, they were like wild scavengers. And they would uh, attack humans. So it was a total put down to be called a, a dog. And yet that's exactly what Paul calls these guys because he knew how destructive legalism was. It kills your joy. I, I've seen it ruin people's lives. I've seen it ruin families. I've seen it ruin marriages. I've seen it ruin churches. Legalism is a horrible thing. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter one about these folks. In Galatians chapter one, it says in verse six, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even the angels in heaven, who preach a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one we welcomed, let that person be cursed. So Paul goes from calling these folks dogs to calling down God's curses on their life. You see, God doesn't like it when somebody comes along and teaches that his son wasn't good enough. That's a serious thing to God. When anybody comes along, a spiritual leader, spiritual teacher, who says, oh yeah, Jesus, man, all the way, Jesus rocks. But, but, but well, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's still some other things. It makes God angry. I love what Dr. MacArthur said. He said this, the greatest battle in the world is not against communism or humanism, or secularism, or social injustice. The greatest battle by far is the battle for men's souls. A battle which could be lost even if somehow all the other battles were won. The greatest challenge of the church in our day is to clearly articulate God's truth and just as clearly expose Satan's falsehoods. 
There is a battle going on for people's souls. And there are these dogs out there who will come along and say, hey, listen, I know countrymen's telling you down there at Big Valley Grace that Jesus is enough, that all you got to do is receive Christ. And Jesus is a part of it. But you also have to, this is also something you have to, have to do. In other words, Jesus isn't enough. Now, Paul gives us five examples. He uses his own life. He was the superstar legalist of his day. In verses five and six, he mentions five things that I think we need to be weary of. Hey, these are five warning signs that you might be falling into the trap of legalism. Number one, warning sign number one is you begin to trust in rituals for your salvation. Paul says in verse five, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Paul was trusting in that. There are people out there today, preachers, that teach that Jesus isn't enough, that you have to be baptized to be saved, or that you've got to baptize your, your children, and that ensures their, their salvation. Or that, hey, you've got you to take communion to be saved, or you've got to speak in tongues to be saved. Somehow you have to be, you know, circumcised to be saved. I, I don't know what it is. There's lots of things you can add to, 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 to Christ. Paul did. And when you fall into the trap of trusting in one of these things for your salvation, you're just in trouble. You're in trouble. You can lose your joy. Warning sign number two. You begin to trust in your heritage for your salvation. Paul goes on to say in verse five, I'm a true-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Man, the tribe of Benjamin was the purest tribe. Paul was a Jew. Tribe of Benjamin, these were the things that he used to, to trust in. Have you ever heard someone say, hey, my, my dad's a Christian. My mom's a believer. My uncle's a pastor. I was born right here in the you know, United States of America, one nation under God. I went to a Christian school. Listen, you can, <clears throat> you can get religion by osmosis, but you can't get a relationship with Jesus by osmosis. You can get a religion from your, you know, just by osmosis from your mom or your dad or from the Christian school you go to or from your uncle who's a pastor. But you can't get a relationship with Jesus Christ through osmosis. Warning sign number three, you begin to trust in a religion for your salvation. Once again, Paul goes on to say in verse five, I, I was a Hebrew if there ever was one. <laughs> Beloved, religion is man's attempt to get to God, works, you know, and Jesus Christ is God's attempt to, to get to, to man, a relationship. Now listen, what I'm gonna say next is gonna really be hard for some of you. Being a Baptist doesn't get you into heaven. Being a Methodist doesn't get you into heaven. Being a Presbyterian doesn't get you into heaven. Being a Catholic doesn't get you into heaven. Being a member of Big Valley Grace doesn't get you into heaven. None of those things get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is a relationship with Jesus Christ when you invite him into your life, and that's it. Now, I'm not putting down the Baptists or the Methodists or the Catholics or the Presbyterians. Not putting down those of you that are members of our church. Those are all good things. 
But when you start to trust in the fact that you're a Baptist or that, hey, I go to Big Valley Grace, that somehow that's going to mean something to God, it doesn't. Now, for those of you that go to Big Valley, I, I, think, <laughs> I think someday you could be standing in front of God and say, hey, listen, I went to Big Valley for 20 years and God's going to go, dude, you listen to countrymen for that long, dude? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Paul was a, a very religious person. And he trusted in that. But it didn't mean anything. Warning sign number four. You begin to trust in rules and regulations for your salvation. Once again, Paul goes on to say in verse 5, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. And beloved, the, the Pharisees were the spiritual uh, elite of the time, and Paul was, was one of them. They took the Ten Commandments and said, okay, look, God gave us ten, and they wrapped around those ten over 600 more. And I have no doubt that Paul kept them all perfectly. That whatever, you know, if God says we shouldn't do this and we ought not do this and we shouldn't do this, what they did is they came along and said, well, let's just add a whole lot of other laws and rules to this thing. And man, they began to keep them all. They were, they were pros at, at rules and regulations. They, they were the legalists of the, of the, of the day. Yet as spiritual as they were, listen to what Jesus said about them in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus said, how terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You're hypocrites. You travel across land and sea to find one person who will change to your ways. And when you find that person, you make him more fit for hell than you are. That's brutal. Hey. That doesn't sound very nice. Where's all that love stuff? Jesus loves, and the cross proves it. That's why he doesn't like it when somebody finds that friend of mine and lures him to another church and begins to teach them another gospel. This is serious stuff to God. Serious. Warning sign number five. You begin to trust your works for your salvation. Paul says in, in verse six, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Today, this is what we might hear. I read my Bible every day. I witness every chance I get. I go to church, you know, every Sunday. I give at least 10% of everything I earn, you know, to the church. I use my gifts and abilities to serve the Lord. I go on at least one mission trip every year. Hey, I'm a part of Love Modesto. Hey, I go down to the, you know, gospel mission and, you know, help the poor. I work in Olivia's closet helping singles moms, you know. Now, these things are all good and well, and we as believers ought to do them. But don't you think that somehow when you do do them that you've earned some brownie points with God? 
God's not sitting around going, okay, when that offering went by, those of you that put some shekels in, all right, boy, wow, I really, he, you know, man, he really digs you, man. <laughs> and that thing went by, and you had some shekels, and you didn't put anything in there. And, oh. God didn't do that. You see, God loves us with an unconditional love, agape love. He just loves us just because. He doesn't love you anymore because you go on a mission trip and you serve at Love Modesto or you feed the homeless. He doesn't love you any less because you don't put an offering in the basket. He just loves you. And it's that love that motivates us to want to read our Bibles. It's that love that motivates us to go out and tell people about Christ. It's that love that motivates us to do whatever it is we do. To think that God just loves us. But Paul, along with a whole lot of people right here in our own community, believe that somehow you got to go out and do all these things, you know. And if you don't do them, then man, he, he's, just, he's just waiting. And, he's just, and that's how some people view God, that he's just this guy in heaven just waiting for you to mess up. It's just waiting, just waiting. Don't you, don't you mess up. Randy, don't, don't, don't you mess up, man. And, and guess what? That'll suck the joy right out of you, won't it? Just knowing that, you know, the Father is just ready to pounce on you, you know. How do you protect yourself from, from legalism? Well, you, you got to learn to live each day by grace. Grace is the, the key to joy. In fact, those two words go together, don't they? Joy and grace. Beloved, when you leave, live each day by grace, when you realize that everything that God does in you and through you is by his amazing grace rather than your good works or whatever, you'll have great joy in your life. There's a reason why that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, is such an incredible song. Because God's grace is amazing. It's his grace. So the first thing that kills your joy is legalism. Now the, now the second joy robber is this. Hanging on to the, to the wrong things, values, if you will, robs you of the, the, the joy of the Lord. Paul said this in verse 7. He said, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may gain Christ. Beloved one, Paul compared the value of a religion, the value of all these things I just talked about, as opposed to the value of simply having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was just a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. You see, Paul had been a very religious person, but he was lost. He was dead in his sins. He was dead in his trespasses. 
He valued a lot of things. He valued rituals. He valued his heritage. He valued religion, denominations, if you will. He was hanging on to rules and regulations. He was hanging on to all his good works, his reputation. But he came to the realization that all these things couldn't save him from his sins. He realized that he was hanging on to a bunch of things that really didn't matter and that only a relationship with Jesus Christ could save him. So he says, hey, all these things, all these rituals and my heritage and religion, these rules, regulations, whatever, are, are mere garbage compared to the value of knowing Christ. And by the way, that word garbage there, you got to underline it or circle it or whatever. That word in the Greek language is the word dung. The word manure. Paul considered everything dung compared to the value of knowing Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Beloved, I, a lot of people are just like Paul today. They're looking for joy in all the wrong places. They're hanging on to things that they think will bring them some joy, and it might even for a, a season. But the reality is they, those things are hanging on to actually end up robbing them of their joy. So how do you safeguard yourself from you know, getting your, your values messed up? Well, you gotta get your priorities right. You gotta make sure you know what's important in your life. You have to know what's dung in your life. And Satan is really good at deceiving you, tricking you into looking at a piece of dung. And you think that that is more valuable than a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, nothing will snuff out the joy of the Lord faster than hanging on to the wrong things, having the wrong values in life. Beloved, I meet people every day that have lost their joy over things that literally don't matter, just dung. And oftentimes I sit in my office and people will leave and I'll go, is that unbelievable? They were hanging on to that. That's what they valued. And they lost everything in some cases. How many of you have ever played the game Trivial Pursuit? Come on. And those of you that aren't raising your hand, you're lying, because we've all played it. Yeah. <laughs> there was a time when that game was everything. Well, well I want you to know, that, that name describes how a lot of people live. They spend their life on trivial things. They spend their lives on trivial pursuits, things that won't last. And all that does is rob you of your joy. You never shine the way you ought to shine when your life is consumed with trivial pursuits. In Acts chapter 27, it tells a story of a ship that was beginning to sink, and it says this in verse 38. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. So here's this ship that's going down, and one of the things they did to keep it afloat was they took the very cargo that they were carrying and they threw it overboard so that the ship would stay afloat, that they could save their own lives. And as I read that story, I, I thought to myself, you know, that's a, that's a parable of life. Some of you right now are carrying stuff in your life, dung, if you will, 
right now that you need to let go of. You need to throw it overboard. You're carrying it around, and it's literally sinking your life. It's sinking your family. It's sinking your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's sucking the joy out of your life. But there you are carrying it. And there comes moments in, in all of our lives, my life, as I was reading this week, I, I began to say, God, help me, help me do what Paul did. Paul does this evaluation of his life. He looks at all these things he used to value, and he says, you know what? Man, that used to be important to me. Yeah, so did this. This was really important to me. Wow, this used to be super important to me. But you know what? Wait a minute. This is what really matters. In fact, this is so important. That's nothing but dung. And I had to do that in my life this week. It's weird how in our humanity, our flesh, the old man, whatever, whatever word you want to put on it, I, I don't know how it all works. I don't know how the demons and Satan and all that intersect with our flesh. I just know what happens. Before you know it, we're going about our life, our Christian life, and we're just starting to carry all this stuff. Stuff that really doesn't matter. Stuff that begins to weight us down. We're hanging on to things that just we ought not hang on to. We're burning a bunch of time over here where we could have burnt the time over here. We start burning a bunch of dough over here where we could have burnt the dough here, you know. We, we, we just start doing these things. It's unbelievable. For some of you, let, let, me, tell you, let, me, let me tell you some dung you got in your life. For some of you, it's a friend. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. Well, this guy's been a friend of mine for like ever, you know. We've been, we've been high school buddies. Yeah, and he's leading you right down a rat hole. You need to jettison the friend. <laughs> for some of you, it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It might be your fiancé. For some of you, it's a hobby. It's just become dung in your life. Four hours at a video game. Four hours. Four hours? Listen, I'll give you 40 minutes. 40 minutes, done. Put the video game down. Well, there's nothing evil or wicked in it. No, you're right. But you just blew four hours. Four hours you'll never get back. Four hours that you could have done anything with. You could have poked your own eye out and that would have probably been a, a better use of your time for crying out loud. Unbelievable. People are dying and going to hell. We got poor people living under the bridge. We got people that don't have any food to eat. We got single moms out there gutting it out and you just spent four hours on a video game? Really? Huh. And you know, you know Jesus as your Savior. Huh, just really bizarre to me. I don't, I don't get it, man. I, I don't think God minds if you have a hobby and you're playing some games. That's okay. But some of you don't even realize that you just get sucked into something. And the video game or the, whatever it is, whatever it is, I just picked that. I don't know why. I just picked it. For some of you, it's a religion, man. You're hanging on to a religion. Maybe you were invited here, and you don't know the Lord. You just know you're a Catholic. You don't know the Lord. You just know you're a Baptist. You know, relationship with Jesus, I, I, I go to the Methodist church, man. Whoop-de-doo. 
Who cares? That's what you're hanging on to. I mean, after all, you know, your, 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 your grandpa, you know, was a whatever. Your father was a whatever. Ah, that's what I am. But you'd never consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ because you've never invited him into your life. You're hanging on to something else. I don't know, maybe you're hanging on to a hurt. And some of you are. You had to come down here on Tuesday nights, 500 people down here, man, coming to celebrate recovery, and they're all here worshiping God, man, dealing with the junk in their life and the crud in their life, you know? Which, guess what? We all have it. That's why there's a cross with the second person of the Holy Trinity hanging on it, because we're all goofed up. Look around. There's a 1,000 people in here, and we all got one thing in common. We're all goofed up. And I don't know what the thing is in your life. I... I, I by the time I get something worked out in mine, then there's a new one that pops up. I got so many things popping up in my life, can't even figure them out half the time. For some of you, you're hanging on to a sin. And that sin, fulfilling the desire of your flesh, is trumping what God's word has to say. You've been deceived into thinking that somehow that's what's going to give you real joy, you know. Listen, whatever it is you're hanging on to, that's the very thing that's robbing you of your joy. And for some of you, the decision you need to make today is you just got to leave it here. Leave it at the altar. Go into the altar room and say, I'm leaving it here. I'm making some changes in my life. Beloved, I had to give up some stuff when I gave my life to Christ, but what I got in return far outweighed anything else I, I gave up. I gave up guilt, but I gained a clear conscience. I gave up worry and I gained a power for living. I gave up frustration and lack of purpose in my life and I gained real meaning, real purpose for my life. I gave up going to hell and I gained an eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven forever. I gave up trying to solve all my own problems and my own power and I gained having the resources of God Almighty to help me solve my problems my problems. That's a pretty good trade-off. Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. Christian, what, what, what are you afraid of giving up for God? What is it that you really value that right now the Holy Spirit has spoke to you? And that thing you value is more important than Jesus Christ. What is it? So the first thing that robs you of your joy is legalism, and the second thing that robs you of your joy is having the wrong values. And last but not least, not growing in your relationship with Jesus will rob you of your joy. Verse 10, Paul said, I want to know Christ. Here's a guy who probably had more knowledge of Christ than all of us in this room, and, and he's at the end of his life, and he's still saying, I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Man, I want to suffer with him. I, I want to share in his death. Beloved, the better your relationship is with Jesus Christ, the greater the joy is going to be in your life. And here's why. Let me give you two things. 
Number one, the deeper your relationship is with Jesus, the deeper your understanding will be of God's grace in your life, and the deeper your understanding is of God's grace in your life ensures that legalism can't rob you of the joy that God wants you to have in your life. The more you understand about God, the more you understand Jesus, the deeper your roots go, man, the more you understand God's grace. The more you understand God's grace, man, that just ensures the fact you're not going to get caught up in all of these things that can take our eyes off of what Christ did. And number two, the deeper your relationship is with Jesus, the deeper your understanding will be of, of what's the dung in your life, which then ensures the, 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 the greater the chance that you'll jettison that dung in your life. You see, the, the, the more you get to know Christ, the more you begin to realize what's really important. The more you get to know Christ, the more you're able to say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of it. I'm getting rid of it that my one life might be used for his glory, that I might shine brightly for him. Not just here on a Sunday morning, but on Monday when you go to work, when you're living out your faith in your neighborhood, when you're living out your faith at your job. Beloved, when you stop growing in your relationship with Jesus, I guarantee you that, that the joy that God longs for you will disappear. So with that said, let me give you three things as I wrap this up, okay? Three things, that, ways you can deepen your, your, your relationship with Christ. Number one, time. It, 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 it takes time to get to know somebody, right? Okay, if you're married, I want you to think about this. There came a moment, you know, when you saw, you know, some gal across the room. You know, you zoned in on her. And you went over and you gave her, you know, your best line. <laughs> hey. And the next thing you know, you went out and had some coffee, you know. You went out and had some dinner. You started talking, figure out if they have the same values you have. They have the same interests you have. You know, are they, are they you know, do they know the Lord, all those things? You, you had to spend some time getting to know your spouse. Well, the same thing is true in your relationship with Jesus. It takes time. You got to set aside some time. You got to set aside some time to, to be alone with God and his word. You need to set aside some time to be alone and pray. Now listen, one of the things I was thinking about was this. For some of you, I'll bet for half of you, maybe more than half of you, the only time you spend with Jesus is in a group. Like this. You're spending time with Jesus, singing songs, hearing his word. The only time you spend a, with, with Jesus is in your small group, which is another group. The only time you spend with Jesus is at a men's Bible study or a woman's Bible study, right? And this is good. Going to a small group is good. But I'm amazed at how many Christians never spend any alone time with Jesus. Look, going out on a group date is fine. But don't you have to at some moment peel off from the group and say, hey, I just want to get to know you? 
Look, I know that the deeper your relationship with Jesus is, the greater your joy is going to be. And look, it's just going to take some time. And some of you, your, your schedules are so packed, there's no margins in your life, and so you don't have any time. So you come here, and this is good. I'm glad you're here, and this is important. But if you set aside some time to be alone with Jesus, and there's going to be things when you're alone with him, especially if you're new in the Lord, and you're going to read it and go, what? what is I don't even get it. Guess what? I... I read stuff in here all the time and I go, what? What was that? You're not going to understand everything there is to know about God. And by the way, if you could, what kind of a God would he be? And there'll be times when, you know, just being alone with him, guess what? He can talk to you. Which brings me to the second one. Deepening your relationship with Jesus takes communication. You got to talk. I mean, think about your own relationships you have with friends or your spouse. Nobody ever got married and they never said a word to their spouse, you know, while they were dating. And the very first thing you said was, I do. No, you talked. You're never going to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ if you don't talk with him. You don't listen to him. Look, when you invited Jesus into your life, you know what? He, he did exactly what you said, what you asked him to do. He came into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, Christian. And maybe you came to faith in Christ last weekend. Maybe it was yesterday. I don't care when it was. You now have the Holy Spirit in you. And if you would just get alone with him, do you realize that he can actually talk to you? He can guide your life, even though you may not know anything about the Bible? He can do that. But you got to get along with them. So it takes some time and it takes communication. And last but not least, it takes trust. You have to develop trust. The, reasons, you know, the reason why marriages fail or whatever is because there's a lack of trust. Trust is an important part of any relationship. And for some of you, you're having a hard time trusting the Lord. You don't know whether he's trustworthy, Right? A number of years ago, when my youngest son was, was three, we were at, 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 in our vacation. There's this pool, and uh, it's only about this deep, but it's got a cave and a waterfall and all this stuff, and I always make this big deal about it being, a, you know, it's a pirate cave, Arr, it's a pirate cove, and there's pirates all around, and, you know, he'll hang on to my neck because he couldn't swim then, and and I'll take them around, and we'll look for bad pirates, and we'll look for pirate treasure, and we'll go into Pirate Cove, and we just have this great time, right? Well, one, one day, he's three years old. He didn't have his floaties on or anything like that. I put him on this big rock that's in the middle of the pool, and we always called it Pirate Rock. And I put him on the rock, and I stepped back, and I said, okay, Cade, I want you to jump to Dad. And his eyes just got huge. He didn't know how to swim. He knows he'll sink right to the bottom. And I said, Kate, I promise you, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. No, Dad, just, I, just put me around your neck. That's all I want. Don't put me in this, you know, uncomfortable place. No, Kate, come on. 20 minutes. Come on, Kate. Come on. And finally, I saw something, you know, happen in his eyes. 
And I could see he was going to do it. And so, come on, Kate. Hey, Dad, just come a little bit closer. And so I'd go like this, you know, and then do this, you know. <laughs> I'd fake him out. And so, so, so now he's ready. And I could see it. Here it is, 20 minutes. <sighs> and he jumped. Now, I'm sure for him, it seemed like, you know, 30 minutes he was in the air. He could have read, you know, the entire New Testament the whole time he was in the air. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden, boom, I caught him. I got you, son. I got you. And you know what I did? I went and put him back on the rock again. And I said, okay, son, I want you to jump. Didn't take 20 minutes, it took 10. Okay? <laughs> boom. By the end of the week, man, he was ready to jump off, you know, a 10-story building. No, 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 no. I can't. I can't. Guess what he learned? He, he, I could trust my dad. And you know what it did? I could tell it took our relationship to a whole nother place because he could trust me. Beloved, one of the reasons why you have stuff happen in your lives, God allows that because it's the only way you'll learn to trust him. So God allows things in your life. He puts you up on pirate rock. And he says, okay, come on, jump. Do you trust me? Do you really trust me? I don't, I don't, I don't want to go through this, God. I just want my life to be comfortable. Don't, don't make me do this. And God says, no, 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 that's not the way this is going to work because you'll never learn to trust me. So I have allowed this thing to happen in your life so that you will learn to trust me. And there are some of you in this room, I'm looking at my friend Rick over here, Rick Hanks, and Pastor Alan Boone back there, and Dave Schwartz over here. There, there are some of you in this room that have walked with God a long time. We remember those first moments on Pirate's Rock with God. And we've jumped off that rock so many times now, you know what? We know the Father's going to catch us. You see, one of the things that will rob you of your joy is when you don't deepen your walk with God. When wanting Christ, wanting to experience His power, somehow gets lost. And so you've got to set aside some time so that you can talk with Him, read His Word, and you've got to learn to trust and maybe for some of you, the greatest thing you could do today was jump off the rock. Some of you have been hanging on to a rock for decades, haven't you? You're just scared. I get it. I've been there. And God's saying, you know what? I'm going to stay here as long as I have to because I want you to learn to trust me. Because that will take our relationship to a whole other level. Why don't you stand up, okay? Over in the venue, go ahead and stand up. And why don't you close your eyes just for a second. If you're here and you'd like for someone to pray with you, we have a place called the altar room. There's one over in the venue. For those of you that are listening online, we have a, you can go onto our website and there's a little thing called the altar. You can click on there and tell us what your prayer request is. In the altar room, the spiritual leaders of the church, the pastors and the elders are in there. And I know the singing's done and the preaching's done and the giving's done, but God ain't done. He's working in some of your lives right now. 
And some of you just need to take advantage of the fact that the spiritual leaders are here to care for you and love you. Maybe there's some piece of dung in your life that you know you need to get rid of and you're just having a hard time. Let us pray with you. We've been there. Maybe you're having a hard time jumping off pirate rock. Let us pray with you. The Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man can availeth much. We see miracles happen in the altar room all the time. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've been coming, listening to the music, listening to all the stories and all the stuff, and you know that God is calling you. You need to go in there and say, hey, I need Christ in my life. Let us pray with you. Let us give you your first Bible, whatever. Let us give you some tracks to run on.